Welcome back to the first Renatus podcast of the year, where Greg Dilger talks to the Lado Hotel's CEO, Dermot Crowley. Dermot only took over the reins in November 21, but has already made a big impact as the latter abounds from COVID-19 restrictions. A highly regarded investment analyst recently described Delata as one of the most prudent allocators of capital in the leisure sector. We hope you enjoy the many insights from Dermot on what is a real Irish success story. I'm delighted to be joined today by the CEO of Delata Hotels, Dermot Crowley. Uh, Delata was founded in 2007 and has become Ireland's largest hotel operator with growing operations in both the UK and more recently Germany. The portfolio currently consists of 50 hotels, all Clayton and Maldron brands that we're all familiar with, uh, with about 11,000 rooms and a pipeline of over 1,000 more. In terms of financials, the full year 2022 results haven't been announced yet. Uh, they're due on February 25 or 28, I think, uh, so we can't talk about those. But in a pre-Christmas update to the market, you said trading was ahead of expectations and year-end revenues were likely to exceed 500 million for the first time. So fantastic bounce back from COVID. So given the limited time we have on this podcast, we'll, we'll try and cover as much as we can. Um, firstly, uh, Dermot, I'd like to talk about you. We also would like to talk about COVID, refugees, uh, mainly from the Ukraine, uh, and the impact on the sector in Delata. We want to talk about strategy, uh, energy prices, uh, people and culture, pricing, and if we get time, be, being a PLC, and some of the issues that relate to that. So maybe, Dermot, we'll start by you telling us where you're from, where you grew up, uh, and were educated, and your career prior to joining Delata. Uh, hi, Greg. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose, looking back, you know, originally from Cork, you know, went to school in, in Prez, and when I was younger, uh, played a lot of rugby and, and tennis, Although ironically, I would say I'm from a GA background. My my parents were both heavily involved in St. Finbar's down in, in, in Cork. But as it turned out, it was just with the school I went to, it was it was more rugby and tennis for me when I was when I was younger. Uh, my dad owned his own business and my mother uh, worked in that business as well. And I suppose from the very early days really, um, you know, I was very aware of business. Uh, it was spoken a lot about at home, and I suppose a lot of the values that, that I have uh, were uh, really given to me by my parents, and, and and you know, and both passed away, but would be still actually a big influence on me. My brother took over that family business, and still, uh, and that's still operating very successfully um, down in down in Cork. And my sister moved has moved to to Galway, and actually now works in that business as well as it as as it turns out. Moved on to UCC from there, did a commerce degree. Uh, you know, had had, had a great time. Uh, have to say, met my wife in uh, in in UCC. We both did accountancy. Uh, I did it with PwC. She was with KPMG, uh, and then we moved to London soon after we got married in the god mid nineties. This stage, uh, where I worked with Procter and Gamble for a few years, and then came back and worked with uh, True Forte. Worked as financial controller in Shelburne Hotel for another uh, few years before moving on to be finance director with Glenn Cullen, which was Bill Cullen's company back in the day, which was the Renault franchise. Um, and I suppose the motor industry was something that I thought that would be my natural home because that's where dad's business was. But actually, I found the drawback to the hotel industry. So when Pat McCann approached me about joining Jury's Doyle, I did that in uh, in 2000 uh, and took up a role there as head of acquisitions and, and development. And I suppose that's where I really got the the real bug for the, for the hotel industry. Worked there for... Um, 
for six years, was involved in uh, the kind of high-profile sale of uh, Jury's Balls Bridge in the Barclay Court uh, to Sean Dunn back in the day. Um, and that was a really exciting time. We were rolling out Jury's Inns uh, right across the UK. Personally, would have developed a hotel with Jury's over in, in Boston, which was which was very, very successful. The company was ultimately taken taken private, and a lot of the management left at that point, uh, as, as I did. Worked for the next few years in a company called Iron Equity, which would have been a shareholder in Topaz and SWS Energy. Uh, and we also, uh, a few of us who'd worked together in juries, myself, Shane Casterly and Conal O'Neill, who now all work in Delata, we set up a small company called Pillow Hotels. And it was a small hotel uh, management company. But then when, when I you know when I met Pat again, we're, we're near neighbours uh, in middle of 2012, uh, we both saw a great opportunity really to, to buy distressed assets coming out of the of the crisis. So I joined Delata at the end of 2012 uh, and that ultimately led to the flotation of the company in 2014, raising money to buy you know hotels that were in receivership, hotels that were in NAMA. And we, and we, we are supposed to have spent the guts of about a billion euro over the next two or three years. And that's what built the kind of modern day um, Delata. I suppose in terms of interests, I love sports. You know, I even I was listening to a podcast there a couple of weeks ago, listening to, to, to Paul McGinley and how he led the Ryder Cup team. I find there's lots you can learn from sports. Uh, I coach a hurling team in, in, in Kimmelcourt Crokes, another 15 uh, hurling team. And I find that a great way to switch off as well. Big Cork hurling supporter, hopefully might win again at some point, and a big Munster rugby supporter as well. So sport's been a bit difficult uh, over the last few years, but hopefully things will improve as we go forward. Looking back on it now, Dermot, uh, do you think the Pat might have had succession planning in mind when he brought you in? Yeah, I, th- I think in fairness to Pat, he, he was always thinking of succession. He said that to me at times. There's no guarantees when I joined that I was going to be his, his successor. But, you know, we worked very closely you know, to, to at times high pressurized during that whole kind of sale of the Balls Bridge sites, um, the takeover. Um, so we got to know each other very well and we're, and we're close neighbors as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that was in his mind, but there was, and we discussed it, but there was, there was no promises. So you're now running a company with 50 hotels in different countries and a few thousand employees. How do you actually go about that? How, how would you describe your management style? Well, look, I, I've always been good at delegating. You know, I don't, I, I'm very good at switching off, right, okay? So I, I give myself time to reflect quite a lot, okay? That might be out for a walk. It might be, as I said, going to a match, you know? So I, I'm a huge believer in taking time to give myself headspace that I'm mm. not thinking about Delata all the time. Mm. And, that, and that's and that's really important because ours is a 24-7 uh, business. So, so, so that's one thing I do in terms of managing my own time. And sometimes you, at different times of the year, you find yourself working a bit too, too hard, but I think reflection time is really, really in, important. I'm good at delegating. Um, and as well, I've, I like things to be structured. So I change the structures here within Delata. Got a we've got an exec you know a, an executive team of uh, twelve people that I you know that I rely on um, quite quite heavily on um, I empower people right so I so I do give people responsibilities mm. I, I'm not a you know I'm not a micromanager and I like to see people develop as well I like to you know I'm, I will give people feedback you know I'm not the type of person just say yeah you're great um, you know I, I point out people's you know real you know their positive uh, elements but I think people learn by getting feedback on where they can improve performance uh, performance mm. more. And then within Delata, generally, we tend to delegate responsibility. This is this predates me. This is something that we did previous. 
uh, we delegate a lot of responsibility to hotels. So the general manager, mm. we consider he, he or she to be running that hotel. And obviously they're getting support from central office in terms of branding, in terms of health and safety, in terms of maintenance capital. But but like they are making decisions every day as to how many what rate they're going to charge customers. And that's really important. And actually within the hotels then, like the chef is given responsibility for the kitchen in terms of mm. their labor costs, their food, uh, their food margins. The restaurant manager is responsible for the restaurant. The revenue manager is responsible for rooms revenue. So, so it's very much a empowering people and delegating responsibility down, and people like that. So, even if you come in as a student working in Delata, you'll find yourself getting a fair amount of responsibility if you're if you're up for it reasonably quickly. I'm wondering, uh, Dermot, uh, do you strive for a consistency of look, feel, and customer experience throughout your hotels, along the lines, yeah. say, of McDonald's restaurants or do each of your hotels have their own unique style and character? No, they do. I mean, like part of our culture is individuality, right? So mm. now we encourage people to express their personality. And we've got a huge, diverse range of personalities working from us, like in terms of nationalities, in terms of backgrounds. And I love that diversification. Yeah. But but it, but there there are some things which are going to be common to all hotels. So we, we insist on... You know that people are respectful to each other, right? So that we have a huge focus on people. That you actually treat your colleagues as real people. Or if someone works for you, it doesn't matter what they do in the hotel. They're you know they're a real person with a real life and a real family, and there's no one superior mm. to anyone else, right? So we so we so we do believe in that, and and we would experience that in all the hotels. And then that is that hopefully comes across in the way we treat our guests as well, right? So, so those mm. commonalities are there. We're really strict on health and safety, right? So we, we don't cut corners, and, and everyone knows that when they work in in, in, in in Delata. Really focused on customer service. Like, so the breakfast offering in most hotels, right, as long as there isn't some sort of physical constraint, is going to be very, very similar because we think breakfast is really, really important. The way the, the, the what you'll experience in a room is going to be very similar in the way when you walk into it. Now, sometimes some hotels have been re- more recently refurbished than others, right? So they may look differently. I think in the public areas they are going to look, unlike in McDonald's, because we we we've bought existing hotels from a variety of different sellers. So 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 that by their nature they're different. So if you go into Clayton Burlington Road, which is five hundred rooms, massive conference centre, huge banqueting takes place there, huge public areas. That's going to be really, really different to Maldron Smithfield, which is less than 100 rooms, uh, you know, and a very small public area. So, so no, it, it wouldn't be like McDonald's, but there's some things, you know, the, 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 the culture that general manager Smithfield is operating towards, his attitude towards uh, health and safety is the same as, let's say, Sandra's attitude as general manager of, of Clayton Burnton Road. It's hard to talk about the hotel business without mentioning covid Remind us briefly how you dealt with all of that. Uh, And do you think any long-term good might have come from it? Yeah, I mean, like, I suppose I'm I'm very slow to say much good came out of COVID, to be honest. I hear some Mm. people look back and say, God, actually, no, it wasn't that bad, really. And I'm there thinking, well, I don't know about you. I like meeting people. The idea of having to stay away from people just didn't, uh, didn't sit well with me. Yeah. But if I look back at some of the things, you know, we held on to myself and Pat really early on. I remember coming into uh, what is now my office and the two of us agreed we've got to protect our people here. Right. So we made a decision to retain the, all our central office people and our, all our core teams at the hotels, which could vary between 15 and, 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 and 20 people. So no matter what, we would protect those because we spent, we spent so long 
developing them. Um, mm. And I think I, I, I think that demonstrated to people within Delata that we're really, really serious about people. It's not just something that we say. And we learned the importance of, of, of loyalty. We also actually learned the importance of by staying open in, in, in the limited circumstances we were allowed to stay open, right? That we were able to establish some new relationships, customer relationships that have survived COVID actually. In, 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 you know, because people have said, mm. God, they were there for us. They stayed, um, you know, uh, they stayed open. So I, th- I think it was just an increased focus on relationships. And the other thing we learned, I think, is that, you know, our culture works, right? So for instance, we kept on paying our rent to, to all our landlords and, you know, who we refer to as fixed income investors. They'd be the large players like DECA, um, like Union, like Aberdeen Standard, um, like Aviva. And as a result of that, now as we've come out of COVID, you know, they would describe us as one of the best hotel tenants they have in Europe, right? So when they have opportunities, they actually start showing them to us. So that, so you know, we we took we you know we we feel we were fair to our suppliers. We you know we paid our suppliers, right? We knew they were in difficulties as well. In some mm. cases, you know, we, you know, we we returned deposits, right? Okay, where we didn't mm. contractually need to return deposits, or we deferred them for for future bookings. So I think we learned that relationships and how you behave in a crisis people actually do remember like we stayed we stayed available myself and pat and god it was some long days early on in COVID. we were available to take investor calls whenever right and that mm. was i think something that investors appreciate as well we didn't go into mm. you know we didn't go into hiding we issued we issued trading updates more frequently because such was a level of uncertainty so i think yep. we were out there yep. preserving relationships let, telling people the real news as opposed to trying to, to sugarcoat it. Um, so it probably reaffirmed that our culture actually does work and, and I reaffirmed that long-term relationships are really, really important. Very, that's very interesting. Um, so moving on from COVID to the Ukrainian war and refugees, I'm wondering what exactly is the impact of this issue on both the hotel sector and Delata? And, and how do you think it'll all play out? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the first thing to say whenever you know we talk about Ukraine, like th- there was a huge outpouring of support and 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 grief at the start, right? But like the position for refugees coming into Ireland is as bad, if not worse, now than it was twelve months ago. It's just that in the mm. news we get more we get more used to it, and if you just see what happened in that uh, bombing of that apartment block last weekend, you know people are coming here because they're in a crisis, right? And we can see that with the people who stay in, in our hotels. And um, so I think it's always, you know, when we, and I, I'm very conscious of the fact that, you know, we said to government, we give you 5% of our of our rooms, which equates just over 200 rooms in the Republic of Ireland. We've got on average about 750 refugees, not all Ukrainians, but 750 refugees spread right across our, our hotels, right across the country. I also need to be aware that there's children who've been in the same hotel for the last seven, eight or nine months and are going to local schools, right? So this, you need to be really careful here when you're making decisions. There's a business decision to make because obviously you have a responsibility to your shareholders, but there's a human decision as well. I've got kids, you know, sure. so, so I think we need to be really conscious of that when we, when we speak about uh, refugees coming into the, into the country. It's a human story. And 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 it's sure. very, and it's a very difficult story and as a, and as a country, given our history, we should be really um, aware of that. Now, obviously, it does have an impact on the on the on the hotel industry. I think after twelve months, I probably would prefer to see a bit more progress being made on non-hotel accommodation, mm. because here in Dublin, 
the estimates are anything between 15 and 20% of the rooms uh, are currently um, you know, be, being used for refugee accommodation. And that's a lot of rooms. I mean, that is you know, a lot of rooms to take out of the market. And then people get frustrated when they can't get a room in Dublin, but that is one of the reasons for it. I think the impact, to be honest, is bigger in you know, some of the more tourist towns on the coast, so places like you know, Kerry, Mayo, Clare, you know, the Killarneys, the Westports, because not only, okay, the hotels are getting revenue from um, that business and may not be at the rates that you would normally get, but mm-hmm. the knock-on impact is that is on restaurants and bars you know, and, and that whole tourist industry. And I, and, I, and I wouldn't underestimate the challenges that tourism is, going on, is, is, is facing in any case. Right? So I, th- I think government and everyone needs to be very aware of the challenges that, uh, that they face. But like you know, you you, you did you see a lot of headlines last year where people said, "Oh, we can't get into Dublin. There's no rooms available." This is well, like this, you know, the rooms are being given up to you know refugees. That's not the hoteliers' faults, right? Okay, and these people need accommodation as well. So, so it's a re it's a really tricky one to um, to balance, and and it's and it's one you know I I I don't know what the solution is, but we certainly need longer term accommodation for refugees because you know there's no sign of this war ending um any anytime soon but i wouldn't underestimate for people who are operating bar- restaurants and bars there's a shortage of labor labor has become far more expensive you could a number of times i go into a restaurant with friends they said god this place got really expensive well i'm saying so well like the food could have gone up 20 25 percent their energy bills are probably at four times what they were 18 months ago they're struggling to get people and then, they're going to, then they have to pay them more, right? So all their costs have gone up, you know, especially in the restaurant business. And we can see in our food and beverage business, all your costs have gone up substantially. So the only way you're going to actually, you know, survive in business is if you increase prices uh, at, at, at the same time. I do like for uh, pricing is an interesting area, right? In, in the sense that when we get feedback or negative feedback on pricing, and we actually got very little last year, our, our, our customer service, customer satisfaction scores last year were very similar to what they were in the pre-COVID period. But we would we would never get pushback from international customers. We we don't get any pushback. Yeah, if we get anything. It's in the media. Uh, the media in Ireland um, uh, bring, brings it up, and that. But getting mm. back to your original, the, the, so the refugee situation is really tricky for um, for everyone. And I don't know what the absolute solution is, but I would ask everyone to think of all the stakeholders, the hoteliers, the restauranteurs, the bar owners, but the refugees as well. You probably won't like this question, uh, but there has been some media noise during the last year on the phenomenon, if I could call it that, of price gouging in the hotel sector. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, like the term price gouging, you know, is kind of offensive to most hoteliers, right? Um, you know, and like in every industry, there's a few of what we call cowboys, right? In every industry. And I suppose what happened during the summer last year was that there were specific prices in hotels called out. And then it was as if every hotel was charging those prices, right? And I can specifically remember reading one of the main national newspapers, uh, the weekend before, or sorry, a few days before the weekend, I think it was the hurling semi-finals, and they stated that you couldn't get a room in Dublin for less than three hundred and fifty euro. And I said, God, that doesn't. I. So I just went onto our own website, and I was able to see that Clayton Leperstown was at one hundred and seventy-five euro, I think, at the time, and Clayton Balls Bridge, I think, was at two ninety, and Clayton Charmond at at three hundred. Right? Okay. 
all very, very reasonable prices um, for four-star hotels on a very busy weekend uh, in, uh, in Dublin. So, so like there was a lot of misinformation out there. And yes, there was one hotel I think that weekend was charging thirteen or fourteen hundred room euro for for a room. Okay, but that like that's you know we can't as an industry comment on each other's prices, right? And we don't comment mm-hmm. on on each other's prices. So, so like I think there was a lot of unfair coverage, uh, you know, last yeah. year. And then there's a perception of value. You know what people say is a very expensive, you know, hotel price in Dublin. They're not taking into the costs of actually, you know, getting that room cleaned, you know, getting the overall overheads of the hotel, the utility cost, the labor cost. You know, ultimately, you, you need to refurbish that room. You've got insurance costs. It's not a, it's not an inexpensive industry to, to operate in. And then you often get compared to places like, oh, you know, down the Algarve. It's, you know, it's much cheaper. Well, like the minimum wage is, you know, could be 40% less in, in Portugal than it is in Ireland. And I'm not for a minute suggesting the minimum wage should, in Ireland should be at what it is in Portugal because the cost of living is much higher. But that does feed into prices as well. So it's a, so pricing is always very, very complex. And the reality of the hotel industry is that when there's events on, it is more expensive to stay in cities. And that mm. is the same with airlines and is the same in every city in the world. And the reality is that we talk yeah. here in January there's great value in hotels around Dublin because demand is much lower. So prices do go up and down yeah. and, and, and flex. And there's mm. no point in you know hiding mm. behind that. That's just the model. Okay, let's talk about energy prices. Um, I can only imagine 50 hotels that this is becoming a very big issue for Delata. How are you guys managing it? No, it, ha- it, it like like it had like you know energy prices have been you know obviously been a huge increased cost for for our industry and every industry right and and you know when I was announced as CEO nearly two years ago now I, one of the things I said I wanted an increased focus on was the whole area of ESG and specifically on uh, sustainability and looking at our carbon footprint so we'd already mm. started a lot of uh, you know stuff in the hotels. Uh, would reduce within uh, the aim of reducing our gas and our electricity usage. The main thing being actually measuring it accurately. You know, putting in uh, meters that automated meters that were giving us data, quarter hour data, so we could understand when the surges were right and why they were happening right and how we could address that. <clears throat> so that has helped hugely to reduce. I don't have the latest numbers, but I know in the second quarter of this year compared to or last year compared to two thousand nineteen. We, we, I think we reduced our, our uh, gas and electricity consumption per room sold by about 17%. Um, mm. and it was slightly lower in the third quarter um, because we had more conferences up and running. So we, we it's, And it's simple things. Like if you measure something and people are focused on it, you can make savings. right? So before mm. you even go down the capital expenditure route, and we're, and we're doing that as well, it's simple things like... Does the you know checking the, t- the thermometer right? Do you, do you need in terms of setting the temperature? Does it need to be up at twenty one degrees? Are you leaving the heating on too late in the morning when most of the rooms are actually empty? It is it is it is simple things right? You like so for instance, a lot of our hotels they were just setting temperatures just too high, and quite honestly, you know in trying to set those temperatures, you only really know when you start getting complaints if you're at the right uh, at the right level. Likewise, you can be overheating water, 
right? And that's a, that's a, that's a huge cost. Then in terms of capital expenditure, we've done things like we've put in pool covers and practically all swimming pools are really, really expensive. So any, any hotel that's got a swimming pool, energy costs are, are very high. So we've put pool covers into, uh, in, 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 into, into the hotels. We've put building management systems into some of the hotels that are really high uh, energy uh, uses. Now we're a bit lucky, right, in the sense that the average age of our hotels is about 15 years. And more modern hotel, like the difference between, let's say, modern Glasgow, which is a, one of our modern hotels that's really well kitted out, and let's say our Clayton Silver Springs, which is 40 or 50 years old, the energy consumption is hugely different. So the, the more modern hotel, the less of an issue it is for you. So that's what we've done. We've, we've put a huge focus on it. We now have a plan for, we, we sorry, by the end of this year, we will have a plan for every hotel in our portfolio as to how we significantly reduce energy consumption and get those hotels in, in accordance with the Paris Accord in order to actually reduce the carbon footprint mm. and obviously reduce our costs as well. What I will say, right, okay, it is a bigger issue if you own a restaurant because where you, where you, where you burn a lot of your gas and electricity, apart from leisure centers, right, is actually in the kitchens. So that's yeah. a big issue for them. Um, isn't like so for hotels it's an issue but it wouldn't necessarily be as big an issue as it is for the restaurant um, mm. sector seeing as we're talking about costs uh, we should probably mention the elephant in the room i.e vat um as we know it's currently at nine percent and you know some talk about it moving back to 13 percent um how do you feel about all of that I, I have no idea whether it's going to go back or not. <laughs> to ask you. Um, but I, I suppose I think what's often lost in, in, in this debate, and I'll be honest, I get tired of it sometimes because it's just, you know, mm. there's a lot of... Apologies for dragging it No, no, you're fine because <laughs> it, 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 it has to be discussed, right? I, I think the, the, the mistake that people look at, right, is they look at the 9% as being a temporary reduction, right? The reality is if you exclude the UK, which is battery rate is very high, that kind of 9% is on the slightly higher end of what's charged for hotels around Europe, right? So, like, when you go up to 13.5%, you're at a significant disadvantage versus European um, competition. And so, like, do I think it should be at 9%? I do. Do I think that should be seen as some sort of temporary incentive to the industry? No, I think it, perm- it should be permanently at that, and that would take away this 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 discussion. And then I think the real danger is the most recent speculation is on a bedroom tax, which I would be vehemently opposed to, because, like, you know, hotel industry, we contribute through municipal rates and through loads of forms of various taxes, mm-hmm. more than enough, right, to local economies and national economies, and the idea of putting a bedroom tax onto it it's just an easy way, I think, for local authorities yeah. then yeah. to actually impose those tax. And the experience in the States is that when it comes in, it only ever goes up, right? So it might come in for a special reason, yeah. for a special purpose, and then it's very yeah. easy for local authorities to add to it. So if you were to add a bedroom tax onto a 13.5%, well, then we'd be way ahead of where Europe is. Because people say, when well, yeah. other cities in Europe have bedroom taxes, they do, but their VAT mm. rate might be down 6 or 7%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dermot, from speaking to you uh, offline uh, beforehand, you've um, you you talk a lot about your people and your senior management, and you're very proud of them. Um, perhaps share with us um, uh, some of your thoughts on that at the moment, and given what they've been through. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I love the energy of meeting people. I love going into our hotels and you know meeting the various people in the hotels. I love the energy here in central office of of, of interacting with my colleagues. I found 
you know, when we had to work from home, I would have found that very difficult, right? Um, so, so, like, hospitality is, I've said this on numerous occasions, is all about people. And I think in Zalata, we do have great people and we do value hugely um, the people within the group. And there's loads of different types of employees we have in Zalata. So, so if I look at them, try to put them in, into broad categories, the hotel industry is always dependent on what we call transient workers, right? That could be someone who's a student and for the three or four years they're in college, they want to get, you know, get some income so they can fund their lifestyle, right? Okay. And they're really important. You've got some, you know, I remember talking to one of our people down in Cork and she was trained to be a solicitor. She was coming, her, her, her qualification from, what, from one of the European countries, she needed to do further exams. She wanted some income while she was training to do that solicitor. I remember talking to one of our guys in London and he was a musician and he needed some part-time uh, work as well. So we have so that that, that transient part-time worker is really important, right? And, and it's important we take care of them because in simple terms, if the student who we employ this year says Delat is a great place to work or Clayton Leperstown or Clayton Burlington Road, they'll tell someone else and then you get a reputation mm. in the various colleges that that's a good place to work yeah. and it makes it easier to, to recruit people. And then you've got people who um, you know, want to work in the same hotel and they want to get an income, right? And they don't necessarily want to be uh, on a career path. They see work um, and, and, and they're not flexible in terms of location for, for mm. whatever reason. Mm. And they're really, really important to us as well because they give, they give us the stability if we take care of them, we don't have all the cost of staff turnover and retraining people, and they're really, really important as well. And then we've got another category of people who are, you know, see the hotel industry as a career for them, right? And they go on our various, you know, through our Delata Academy, we have a huge number of um, uh, development courses. And there, you know, we opened six hotels uh, last year, and between 60 and 70% of the management teams were internally promoted uh, through Delata. Mm. And so, so we've taken care of them, and, they, and they're the pipeline for our future growth. So as we open more hotels mm. in the UK and into Europe, they're the people that will operate those uh, those hotels for us. So taking care of them all is really, really important. And I suppose when I, in the middle of last year, when I was looking at the cost of living crisis, you know, we, we did increase a few benefits, right, okay? But one of the key things that I asked all the hotels, do we, I said, I'm going to double, we said, we said we're going to double the allowance we give the chefs for staff food. And I want a serious focus on staff food. Because if we can give people working in our hotels five good meals a week, that's a huge help to them, especially mm. if you're on lower income, right, in, in, in a real mm. way of helping them uh, as we head into a cost of living uh, crisis. And you get no resistance to that. Everyone says, yeah, that makes, mm. you know, that makes sense. So, so like the people are the lifeblood um, of, of, of the company. You know, people often that really uh, upsets me when people say the young people of today aren't as good as my generation. Well, every generation thinks that. Are they the same? No, they're very different. But they bring an energy and an enthusiasm, which is really, really positive for any company. So I, I really, you know, I love meeting People are coming into our company and they're coming up with new ideas. And I suppose one of the things I've asked people in the company is to make sure you encourage people um, to be innovative as well. And mm. the last thing I say, right, you know, in how do we treat our people, right? And you can come up with all the management techniques and everything else, right, okay. But if you remember each day when if you treat the people you work with as you would want your mum or dad, your brother or sister or your son and daughter to be treated, right? You won't go too far wrong. And that's what I say to mm. people, right? Just just treat people like you would want them to be treated and you won't go too far wrong. I really like that. 
Um, moving on to strategy, uh, you've now got 50 hotels, uh, mostly in Ireland and the UK, and more recently one in Germany, in, D- in Dusseldorf actually. Um, how do you think Delata might look in five to 10 years time? Uh, I assume we might see more hotels in Europe. And I guess there's probably more to do in Ireland and the UK. Okay, I mean, the first thing I want to say about strategy, right, okay, is I can never forget the 50 hotels we have at the moment, right, okay? And I'm really excited about what we can do there. I could I could sit here today, right, and say, you know, the cost of labor is going up, the cost of energy is going up, there's a war in Ukraine, and, you know, yeah. this is very, very difficult, right? I'm always excited by how we'll operate hotels in the future, right? And the reality we face, and if we get this right, we get a massive competitive advantage versus our, uh, our competition, so what we need to look at is how do we how do we operate the hotel of the future where labor is more expensive. I've I've gone on record and said I prefer to pay less people more than more people less. So so how do we use technology right to give people still a very personal experience right, but we can still charge prices that people can afford, and we have a work environment where people feel the hospitality industry is a great innovative exciting place to work right. So I see that as a really ex- I don't have the answer for you this morning okay right, mm. but I see that mm. as a really exciting challenge mm. for everyone in the industry, and I know everyone in Delata is really really excited uh, about that. Mm. Looking forward then in terms of growth, if I look at Ireland first of all. We would still look if there was one or two opportunities for new builds in Dublin. Mm. We would do that. Okay, Dublin's a great yeah. market; it's our home market. Um, we probably wouldn't mind another hotel in, in Galway, in the centre of Galway. But other than that, we're we're in the island of Ireland. We're effectively done. In 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 the UK, we still, you know, we still see huge opportunity for growth, and that's in some of the cities that we're already in. Right, so we're mm-hmm. we're building another hotel in in Manchester. So we've now a hotel, a large hotel in the airport, two in the city centre. We're building another one in the city centre. Would we do more in Manchester? Absolutely. Why would we not have the same? You know, we've eighteen or nineteen percent of market share in Dublin. Why could that not be an objective for us in time in Manchester and Glasgow? We've no hotels in Edinburgh, great hotel uh, city. So there's still the large cities in the UK. We still want to grow further, and the one city. Sorry, Dermot. Are- Sorry, Dermot, are, are the hotels in the UK three-star or four-star? All four star. I guess a bit of both. Yeah. All four-star. Four Is star. That, that part, that's part of the strategy, yes. presumably? Yeah, all four-star, yeah. And in fact, bar one or two even in Ireland at this stage, they're all four-star as well. Um, and then, But the, the one city we'd love to crack in the UK fully is London. So at the moment, we've got a hotel in Chiswick with a hotel in the city of London, and we're building a hotel in, in, in Shoreditch, right? And one of the ways we feel we might be able to crack London better, right, is making our operating model more efficient. And we're trying something a bit different in Shoreditch with our Maldron in Shoreditch. You know, it's a very small footprint. We want a very high quality food and beverage product, but just tailored to what people want, which is primarily breakfast and the odd corporate having something to eat in the evening. But the reality is most people are going to go out to a restaurant. So if we can simplify the model, increase the margins, then we can compete better for sites. So London is a, London's a key priority for us. right? And then beyond that, we've our first hotel in, in Germany. We'd love to have more hotels in Germany. And we, we've a lot of good business relationships in, in, in Germany, right? So DECA, obviously, who I, I own you know, five of our hotels, uh, are based out of Germany. Union, uh, who've uh, owned our recently opened Clayton, Glasgow. Uh, we've got a, 
art invests who own a hotel in Dusseldorf. We have very strong relationships with those. And what tends to happen in, in Germany and Europe generally is most hotels are leased, right? And there can be a turnover of tenants. So, so we'd be very anxious to grow with them to take over existing hotels and potentially develop some new new hotels as well. Mm. And and that, so Germany, we think, is probably the most likely because of the business relationships. But like the larger mm. cities in Europe that have a strong combination of corporate and leisure mm. business, we're very interested in uh, uh, getting into. I don't kind of say that within five years we want 100 hotels because what that does no. actually is, is put you under pressure and then you start taking over hotels that you shouldn't be taking over. You start building hotels and locations that you you shouldn't. We're very careful. I wasn't trying to put that pressure on you, but at the same time, and you, you've you've only been around since two thousand and seven, uh, and another five ten years. You know, it struck me that that there is there is a lot of scope in Europe to to replicate and, and build on what, what you've already what you already no, there have. is, and great. One of the key things though is getting back to the very start, right? learning how we can more efficiently uh, operate mm. our existing hotels right will actually make it more achievable to go into new hotels way as well and be able to pay the rent that that landlords are looking for right and I, when i mean efficient i don't mean less customer service i just mean smarter okay and i think that's that's probably the most the challenge that excites us most within Zalata. Mm. because the more the more we do better with our existing hotels and we design it will help us design our new hotels and will actually allow us to to uh, to grow faster in in the UK and mm. into Europe and do you have is there any if you're faced with an opportunity and it's an opportunity to build from scratch or to lease or to have a management contract with which one excites you the most or, or how do you view them well, management contracts don't really work for us at the moment because they okay. tend to be very okay. short-term in nature and all the work goes in really in the first kind of, a lot of work goes in six, 12 months and if the management contracts are for three or four years, it doesn't work. So it's really owning or leasing, right? And it depends, right? So for instance, we like owning hotels in London because we think that that gives a lot of capital appreciation, right? So we'll, we'll own three hotels in, in London. That wouldn't stop us if we got a great opportunity to lease a hotel uh, as well. So we, we haven't really been in a position for the last three or four years with COVID to, um, you know, put capital to owning a hotel or building a hotel. Mm. That's changing now as, as we start generating uh, uh, cash as well. So it's, it's great to have the flexibility of being able to do both. But the reality in terms of capital allocation the majority will be leased because hotels are expensive to buy and they're expensive to, to build. We'd be far more comfortable building a hotel in the UK and Ireland than we would be in Europe because, again, getting back to those relationships I spoke about earlier, we've got some very strong relationships with building contractors in the UK and Ireland and we wouldn't have that yet in uh, in Europe. Actually, there's I, I have a copy here of an analyst comment uh, about you or your group. As, uh, they refer to you as one of the most prudent allocators of capital within our leisure coverage i'm just wondering does that does that involve saying no quite a lot oh it does yeah yeah no it absolutely uh does um like uh, prudent yeah i think we are we're careful but we're not afraid to take risks at the same time right but, we, mm. but they're calculated risks but we like the vast majority of stuff that's we that is shown to us we say no to so for yeah, us, okay. we, 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 again, sorry, getting back to the, our existing portfolio, understanding where we're most successful, right? So we've opened mm. two hotels in Manchester last year, really, really happy with how they're operating. We know we, we know we do really well in Dublin. We know that we know exactly how to operate a hotel in Dublin. 
but let, then if you went into a smaller city in uh, in in the UK, let's say something like Southampton, where there's two thousand rooms, and if we 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 for bigger hotels, so if we put in a two hundred room hotel, we're adding ten percent to the market, and that's a huge increase in the market. So we're very careful about moving into smaller locations as well. You're obviously a public company, Dermot, and you've got shareholders who no doubt um, and you no doubt listen to them and and take their feedback. I guess they see you primarily as a hotel operator which for the most part you are, but I know you're not averse to looking at opportunities with some development angles. Um, you might give us a few recent examples of this and how they add value to Delata. Yeah, I mean, this, I suppose the, the, the one that, that investors are, who you know have dug in deep enough are most familiar with is Charlemont, right? So, so yeah. again, we were buying a lot of hotels, as I said previously, coming out of the crisis, the, the last crisis, the global financial crisis. And um, we found then getting back to that prudent allocation of capital that hotel prices in Dublin were just getting too expensive. So we stopped actually then looking to buy hotels and we started buying one or two sites. So so, so Charlemont, you know, we bought that site and we developed a four-star hotel, one of our best hotels in, in, in the city, 170 rooms. And we we um, basically, the all-in cost of that was 45 million euro. Site, building costs, professional fees, the whole lot, right? And then we were talking to DECA about doing a sale in Lisa back just pre-COVID. As such as the strength of the relationship, they actually continued that, that transaction and we closed it in April of 2020, which is about six weeks into COVID or four weeks into, in, into COVID. And we sold it to them for 65 million. So we built it for 45 million. We sold it for 65 million. And then we were left with an asset on the sale because we're selling lease back that has the capacity to earn about two and a half to three million per annum for us. So if you think about it, you could multiply that by typically by eight to kind of get a capital uh, value on it. Mm. So there's another 20 million there. So so that you could really say that for 45 million, we delivered an asset and value of another 40 million on top of that. So that development angle, when we get it right, is very valuable. In Marion Road, we bought the old Tara Towers, which is interesting because I sold it to Bernard McNamara when I was in juries years and years ago. And then we bought, we bought it back off the receiver uh, in I think it was 2016 we bought it and when we looked at that and we looked at the overall site we said you know what the best thing here actually is to knock the hotel and do a mixed use development so what we did is we knocked the hotel or so before we knocked the hotel we designed a mixed use development with 140 odd rooms I think 69 residential units uh, and a basement car park and we pro- pre-sold all the to, to reduce the risk we pre-sold once we planned commission all the residential units to Iris Right, so we knew exactly what we were going to get. I think it was something like we got something like 44, 45 million um, for, for those. And then we end up with a brand new modern hotel in Marion Road um, for less than 200,000 a room. Um, so then again, so that again is, you know, a hugely valuable. Um, I, I, I don't know what the most recent valuation of that hotel is, but it, it would have gone up. So, you know, similarly in Kevin Street, we bought a site. We, you know, we developed it as, as, as a hotel um, and again, that's been a hugely successful modern. And again, I don't have the number in front of me, but a significant mm. increase in, in value on the back of that. Mm. And then the other things we do is we look at extensions. So when we bought more in Bewley Group, one of the pieces of value that we saw in it is that the ability to put on significant extensions into yeah. Clayton Dublin Airport uh, and Clayton Bosbridge. Um, you know, put an extra 33 rooms in Clayton Bosbridge, and we put an extra, God, I think it was 120 or 130 rooms from mm. memory 
in Clayton Dublin Airport. So we do have a, you know, uh, Shane Castlery, who's our corporate development director, we do have a very strong development arm uh, as well. We really understand how to design hotels. So even if the hotel has been developed for us and we're going to be the tenant, we tend to design really efficient hotels where, where they're easy to operate uh, and give a really good customer experience. And what I'm really excited about for any listeners to get a chance, have a look at our Clayton Hotel in Manchester City Centre, one of the best hotels in the city, or Clayton in Glasgow, which incorporates the old custom house uh, building into a brand new hotel, uh, two blocks at the at the back, and how they how that ground floor transitions from the customs house into the new block mm. is we're delighted with. And then we've got Clayton Bristol, which again I would argue is one of the best hotels in that city. Uh, where basically it's a combination of three listed buildings at the front with an old um, uh, office building which was completely gutted and we converted that combination of those buildings into a really good uh, top-end uh, four-star hotel. So delighted with the uh, with the quality of product we have in the UK. And just just wrapping up, um, uh, we're, we're, we're out of time here. The, when you're making the case for Delata to new investors and existing investors increasing their holding conceivably. Do you highlight this little development angle as sort of a sort of unique little piece of the Delata? We do, set? we do, but I suppose sometimes I think maybe we should, when I, I start talking about it and I get passionate about it, we probably, it's something we probably could do a bit more of as well, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but we do, I mean, we do highlight that we have that expertise. A lot of us worked in Jury's Doyle previously. So, you know, I, I've been developing hotels for 23, 24 years at this stage, as has Shane and his team below him. Now I've got a lot of experience as well. So there's a huge amount of inbuilt experience there, which which is which brings a, a real added value on top of the operating side. Hmm. Dermot, I think that's a perfect note on which to end this chat. Thank you very much for taking time out to talk to us. It's a really good story. Uh, your passion for the business is so obvious and infectious. Uh, and uh, certainly very exciting times ahead. Best of luck to you and all your team. Thanks very much, Greg, and thanks for listening to it.